Now on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, horse reining competitor and right-hand amputee Alexis Mann. Alexis's limb difference is a result of amniotic band syndrome. Alexis recently competed in the 2023 National Reining Horse Association Derby. Alexis has been riding horses since two years old and now competes for the Division I equestrian team at the University of Tennessee. Alexis inspires the entire amputee community through her passion for horses and collegiate pursuits. It is our pleasure to welcome Alexis Mann. There she is, Alexis. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, we're so happy to have you. I'm glad that I finally nailed you down in terms of your schedule. <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy here at college this semester. So thank you for being so patient. You're you're a very, very busy young lady, and it's impressive. It always inspires me when I see a young person doing all the the many things that you do in terms of competing and school and somehow juggling it all. I think it's uh, it's something I do recall when I was in college, but now that I'm 55 years old, it seems like a very distant memory to me. But um, no, I appreciate you you coming on and becoming part of our our list of amazing guests that we've had in our um, just over a year now. We've been doing this, and I'm I'm glad we were able to set some time aside and. Um, learn a little bit more about your story. I actually heard about you through uh, the Amputee Coalition. Um, they had done a, an article on you. I know, I know you've been on television as well, but that was the article that, that caught my eye in terms of what you were doing in, with uh, you know, horse reining. I, I, I want you to explain to the audience, I wasn't really familiar with sort of the textbook definition of what horse reining is. Um, can you explain that for people that might be completely unfamiliar with it? Oh, yeah, for sure. And you're definitely not the first one. Um, growing up, everyone asked if I did barrel racing or jumping. Um, so it wasn't really until Yellowstone got its popularity, the TV show with Kevin Costner, because they had reining horses and cutting horses showcased on the show. So now it's a lot easier to say, oh, have you seen Yellowstone? And they're like, oh, yeah. And they can kind of piece it together a little bit. But um, raining is um, it's kind of it's kind of evolved over the years. And thanks to Yellowstone and Taylor Sheridan has came in and really helped our industry grow a lot. But um, it's I don't know for sure the exact textbook of it, but it's based on making sure your horse is very willing in what they do based on what you do through the reins. Um, and unlike horsemanship and other disciplines, um, it's not really based on the rider's performance, but it's how the horse performs. Um, and it's a judged event, just like all the others. It's judged on a negative half or a negative one and a half to plus one and a half scale. Mm. Um, and you start at 70 when you walk in the pen and you can go up or down based on how your horse performs. And so what I really liked about it is you have to be one-handed to do it anyway to show 
So it kind of was like, I always used to joke like, oh, raining was like, I was made to do raining. Um, so that's kind of where I fell in love with it. Oh, that's so interesting. See, I didn't, I did not know that about the one handed sort of technique that you're referring to. So mm -hmm. for our guests that don't know, Alexis lost her right hand. And I want to make sure I get this right to amniotic hand syndrome, correct? It's um, amniotic band syndrome, ABS. Got it. Got it. Amniotic mm -hmm. band syndrome. Okay. So explain that to me so I can understand it on the clinical level. What What is involved with that? Yeah. And I actually didn't know what exactly had happened to um, my right hand for a really long time. I was kind of just kind of like, oh, that's just how God made me. But I didn't know the clinical terms until I was about 11 or so. Um, but ambiotic band syndrome is where your mom is pregnant and there's ambiotic um, a sac in the pregnancy. And sometimes during pregnancy, that sac can get damaged and strands from that ambiotic can wrap around limbs or digits. It's very common for it to happen in feet as well. Um, and kind of cutting off that blood restriction. Sometimes they can catch it and fix it. Other times you're born with um, differences such as I am. Um, so it affects individuals kind of each a different way, individually way. And so that's kind of what ABS is. Well, that's fascinating. And I, and it's, I appreciate you correcting me because I actually thought it was amniotic hand syndrome. So it's, it's essentially the, the amniotic band that wraps itself around mm -hmm. and then uh, whatever it attaches itself to just doesn't form completely. Now, just so I can understand better, when you were born, did you have that hand or was it a version of a hand or was just nothing? Um, so I, I always tell the story and I always kind of joke about it, but at 10 weeks, the ultrasound showed I had two hands Mm -hmm. And some, and then at 20 weeks, God said, just kidding. And I had one hand. So it happened it. while in my mom's pregnancy. Got it. Okay. So that makes a lot more sense. And the thing, you know, I'm fascinated by with someone who, who has limb difference like you, and it's been a part of your life from birth. Do you recall the age or the moment? Is there a significant point in time where you thought, okay, I'm, I'm different. I, I'm different from the other kids. And do you have early memories of that sort of realization? And can you describe what that was like for you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm an only child. So mm. it was just kind of me and my parents growing up. So I didn't have a bunch of siblings. Um, and growing up, I never really had that concept of oh, maybe I'm different than everybody else um, until, I mean, there'd be instances where I would be playing when I was younger and I would take my sweatshirt off and kids would see my arm and be like, ooh, that's kind of weird or not unsure. But it wasn't really until I uh, went to preschool and I saw that literally everyone else had two hands and I didn't. Um, and so that was just kind of the first kind of thing of, oh, maybe I'm a little bit more unique than I thought I was. And it sounds like horseback riding has been in your life from a very, very early age, from what I've been reading. I thought I read something somewhere that said two years old. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a picture of me just riding bareback around um, an old gelding that we actually still have. He's still around. Um, my dad had raised harness horses when he was younger, so he loved horses. And before I was born, my mom and dad just had, um, they weren't serious, any kind of horses, but just had them for the love of the animal. And that's just kind of, I've always had horses throughout my whole life. So going going back to horse training as a discipline and you giving that indication that so so much of it has to do with the performance of the horse where my automatic assumption would be having a lot more with you directing the horse so to speak um i would think that there would be a lot of trust that would need to be established between you and this very, very powerful animal. And I, I just want to tell a quick story. My my brother, his um his ex-wife was a horse doc, and he actually had some horses, you know, on his property that that were theirs and and she would ride, you know, frequently. And I don't think anyone truly realizes not only how beautiful horses are but how incredibly powerful they are until mm -hmm. you are in the presence of a horse. And just when you, when you see their form and their muscles and, and how large they are, you know, um, I got to be honest, Alexis, it kind of scared me. And I thought, whoa, it, it, you know, if this thing decides to get me out of the way, it's not going to have any problems. Um, so of course I go to that place of, you know, how do you get this very large, very powerful animal to trust you? And again, you being around horses since you were two years old, obviously made that acclimation to being comfortable around horses, probably pretty easy because you, you, you know, when you're young, you don't necessarily have as much fear about things. Um, but again, going back to the trust factor, how do you establish that with a horse that you're competing with? No, for sure. And that's a very valid point. A lot of, um, a lot of people are scared of horses just because, I mean, they can be very dangerous. It's a very real kind of issue that equestrians do deal with on a daily basis of kind of knowing kind of like how race car drivers know that at any second they can go into the wall, just kind of that, um, just kind of respecting the animal and respecting that. Yeah. If you really wanted to, it could really push me out of the way, but anymore, we have such a selective breeding in the competition areas of horses that they're bred so well. And there, there's so much work done on the front side of when they're young, starting them, breaking them out. Um, that when you do get to that kind of competition level with them that they I mean they'll still have their bad days they are an animal with a brain but they're a lot more respecting of you as a rider and when you go in that competition the goal is is you work so hard on the front side that you can trust them when you when you need to wow that's that's pretty incredible when you when you were a child and you know talking again about having a limb difference do you recall any point in time where you felt like those types of feelings recognizing your limb difference or 
let's say, making friends, being part of, you know, a, a group of people. Do you ever remember having any struggles in that regard? Where, I mean, anytime we feel different, I, I think it's only natural when you're growing up to have a, have a desire to belong. And I know for myself, not having a limb difference, I struggled regardless. I mean, there was just all those insecure feelings that tend to hang around when we're coming of age as it is. So then coming into that, stacking on, you know, a limb difference, the, you know, the loss of your right hand, do you ever recall feeling like, wow, this is hard? Oh my gosh, almost every day, even even today sometimes. And I always hear, I mean, teenage, no one really wants to go back to their teenage years. It's awkward, it's fun, it's, it's a little scary because you're um, becoming an older, an adult and things like that. Um, but no, there are a ton of times where I've had to grow a lot as a person from the time I was 10 to now 20. Now those 10 years have been full of growth because I mean, I used to, in a store, kids would naturally, they see something different. Um, they would naturally kind of look at me a little weird or ask their parents what happened to that girl's hand. Um, and so I got into the habit of stuffing my right side of my jacket in my sleeve. I kind of figured out that it kind of showed that, hey, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't different than everybody. Um, there was a lot of times, I mean, um, there was, it took me a long time to wear my prosthetic around because I that just indicated more that I was different in my head at least um and it there was a lot um in high school I kind of got a lot better I turned that focus into horse riding and I became more successful with that and that for sure helped um in college has been pretty good um because it's always been around the horses I was able to put any kind of not basically show I was different because I could do everything they could on a horse. So um, that definitely has helped a lot um, with my own insecurities, just as I, hey, at the end of the day, I know I can still ride. I can still, doesn't matter what people think of me on the outside and inside, I can still, I'm very capable. And um, whenever I felt those insecurities, I would just turn those into either riding or academics or um, becoming a better person, just trying to work on myself. And I felt those insecurities. Yeah. And I appreciate your transparency when you said, well, yeah, even today, because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I always say, do you ever really get used to it? I mean, do you ever <laughs> fully go, oh yeah, I'm completely comfortable. And I will make mention of this to people who are close to me and I don't mind talking about it. I've definitely had those moments where I find myself hiding and not necessarily putting myself in a position where people can see me as much. I might position myself differently or I might stand in a certain part of the room or just do things that, you know, like you made mention about, you know, tucking your hand in. Um, took me a long time just to be able, you know, I'm a leg amputee, it took me a long time to just be able to wear shorts comfortably and feel like that's okay. But I do recall this one moment where I had, you know, parked my car in a, in a parking lot 
like a public parking lot. And I heard some people coming, you know, up towards my vehicle, walking into whatever store I was at. And I hesitated. I hesitated to get out of my car. And it was this, this sort of curious moment for me, like, why am I doing that? Why am I not wanting to be seen in this particular situation? Because I could hear multiple voices, people coming towards me, and I was going to step out of my car and become what, you know, maybe I thought in that moment, I would become the source of conversation. And I'm, you know, people sometimes fight, find this hard to believe because I've been in sales and marketing my whole life, but I'm a very much an introvert and I don't necessarily um, enjoy <laughs> being like in the spotlight. Um, but at the same time, it really sent me into that sort of reflective space of, you know, why, why did I do that? And is it okay for me to still have those feelings? And I think it is okay. I think it's okay to recognize it and live with that and continue to take those energies, like you said, which is very wise and apply those to other positive forces in your life. And that tends to, I guess, kind of right the ship a little bit. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, a really, really great insight. The other thing you brought up that I want to ask you, do you wear a prosthesis? Is there some form of prosthetic that you use? Um, I don't wear it um, on a daily basis because growing up, I was kind of too scared to wear it. So I learned how to do everything without it. Um, I do have one. It's it's very up to date. It's even Bluetooth to my phone. It always, wow. everyone's like, "What? No way!" Um, I'm very grateful to have it. My parents have phenomenal insurance, so I'm able to have access to these great things. Um, but I do have one. It's very awesome. Um, there's a place up in Michigan at Wright and Philippus that has done mine my whole entire life, and they've been great. Um, but I do have one. I just don't use it on the daily. Got it. Got it. And what would be a specific reason that you'd feel compelled to wear it? I mean, if you've acclimated and, you know, adapted so much of your life and the activities that you do with your left hand, I mean, when do you feel like, oh, yeah, I should wear it today? Um. I honestly not a lot. Um, the only times I could see myself wearing it as if, um, if I wanted, if a specific person asked to see it or kind of see how it functions. Um, but not, not, um, it happens very rarely. And that's one thing that I'm trying to challenge myself is my next step of kind of character development of kind of accepting myself more is to be more open about my prosthetic, whether that's using it more or having, or being open to using it more, because I have such great access to it to be open to using it more and finding ways that I can implement it in my life. Yeah, I, I respect that. But at the same time, when I think of myself, if if I could have adapted a lot easier without wearing a prosthesis, I, admittedly, I probably wouldn't wear it. Because yeah. if if I had somehow figured out a way to walk and work and drive and do everything 
with my my left foot um i don't know i i would probably be like well why why do i really need it i i do everything that i need to do anyway but for me <clears throat> being a right leg amputee it's it's you know it's that moment of truth of well i ain't walking out of here unless i put my leg on mm -hmm. so it sort of forces me to kind of deal with it and maybe that's a good thing some days certainly a bad thing other days but it is what it is were you pretty active as a kid when you were growing up i mean you compete in volleyball horse training you're a college student you're an active person i mean what was your childhood like and did your limb difference play any role in that as far as how sort of active of a kid you were um, I would say I was pretty active. Um, growing up, I had the horses. I was involved in 4-H, kind of that kind of was kind of my first elementary school. And then when I got in middle school in seventh grade, I played volleyball and then I changed schools and I did volleyball and basketball that year. And then in high school, I did basketball for a year. And then wow. it was kind of that kind of decision of do I want to be more focused on the horses or do I want to be more focused on the basketball? And I chose horses so I can put a hundred percent of my efforts into that. And, and because of that, I was able to have awesome opportunities and it just kind of one thing led to another. Well, it sounds like for you anyway, your relationship with horses, it sounds like very much you're very passionate about that. Mm -hmm. And when I've seen photos of you competing, riding, it's, it's really a beautiful sight to see you in that element and see you doing the things that you're doing. Um, it, it's, it's just incredible stuff. When, when you are competing, I want to understand, and again, you're talking to someone that doesn't ride horses at all. <laughs> so, so I always think of Although I take that back, I think I think I rode a horse at camp or something when I was a kid, and you know, just not riding, just walking around. But when you're competing, is it more physical? Is it more mental? Where do you feel the competitive edge comes in for you as someone who's doing that task? I would say a hundred, almost probably 90% mental, 10% physical. You still have to have that physical aspect of the more in shape you are, the more capable you are to ride the horse as correctly as needed. And, um, but I would say a hundred percent mental. It's kind of like that saying you, you, if you think you can, you can, if you think you can't, you can't. Um, so if you can think about how kind of, trusting yourself, trusting your horse that you can go out there. It's kind of, and that's where a lot of people kind of discredit horse as a sport, but it's just as mental, if not even more mental than the other sports, because you're accountable not only for your own brain, but an animal that is not as domesticated as you are um, in their brain as well. And so you really have to kind of think for both of yours because a horse, um, they can feel a fly on their back. They can feel your emotions. They can feel when you're anxiety, they know where you're stressed, mad, happy, excited, et cetera. And so the more stressed you go in or the more confident, they're gonna feel that. 
So it's kind of like having that kid that you need to be happy for, confident for, so they can kind of look up to you. The horse is just kind of like a kid in that case. They need to trust you as much as you trust them. Yeah, that's that's such a great point, especially with animals in general. Most of the animal lovers that I meet feel very, very connected to those animals. Mm -hmm. And whether they are domesticated or not, it's it's still... <laughs> a major connection point between humans and animals. When you think about competing, sports, college, you know, again, obviously us struggling to, to meet today, given all that you, you're involved in, how do you feel you balance it all? What, what, what do you feel is the key to having all those pursuits simultaneously and being able to thrive in multiple disciplines like that. Um, and that's also been a huge character development. The person I started as a college freshman and now as a college junior is completely different. I've gone through trials and tribulations of what works and what doesn't, but for me personally, is being very accountable for myself. I have to-do lists um, that I try and check off of, here's what I need to do for the week and then break it down of what I need to do today. Um, the biggest thing is I think motivation for me. I really wanna be successful in whatever career field I end up doing. And so um, <laughs> in every like book or podcast or whatever I've listened to, it's always been, you gotta start with the small tasks or the everyday tasks and that builds to the greater goal or the greater dream that you have. And so every day I just try to um, keep tasks that I know, I try to do tasks that are towards my physical goals, my six career goals and my kind of spirituality goals, whether that's reading my Bible more, stuff like that. And those three are the big three in my life. And so if I can do small tasks every day that can lead me to those bigger tasks, that's what I try to do. <laughs> Well, it's certain, certainly great advice, especially for us older people, <laughs> because very often we sort of stumble through life and never really understand that, that finding that balance, whatever it is, is really the key to feeling joy, to feeling happiness, to feeling fulfilled. And sometimes when those things are not in balance, that's usually what creates a lot of our anxiety and our frustration. Mm -hmm. And it sort of blocks us from enjoying the good stuff because we're just too busy over-focusing on things that maybe don't matter or are just a waste of our time. And I think that's, again, you know, very wise coming from a young person. And I, I, I think we can all learn something from people like yourself, because doing what you do with the pursuits that you have done so early in life, given what some people might consider to be somewhat of a limitation, it's inspiring. It's inspiring to see, you know, your spirit. And, you know, I have to say, looking at your, your Instagram, and reading some of your some of your posts, I mean, they're they're really there's really some beautiful words in there. I mean, I can tell that 
you're a very reflective person, that you explore your feelings, that you sort of project what you're going through or what you're feeling. And a lot of that is is probably much more helpful and inspiring than you probably realize because so much of us, especially in our particular community, you know, limb loss, limb difference, we need those messages. We need those words. We need to know that we're not alone and that very often someone might be feeling some of the same things that we are, maybe in a different place, in a different way, but all those feelings are real, all those struggles are real, and I appreciate that you're willing to put that out there and share it because all of that I see is just very, very positive energy, and we can all, you know, I always talk about the miracles that humans perform on each other, which is the way we help each other, and we sort of lift each other up. And I think that that's um, at least how I try to live in that sort of light. And if you were to think about, let's say someone who inspires you, who when you think about, they have a huge impact on you know your focus and all of the goal setting that you're doing, who would that be? Oh goodness, I think it's, I know this is a very cliche answer, but it's so hard to think of one person. Um, my parents are huge. They've been through it with me since, since even before day one. They were there advocating for me. Um, and they've been huge of just supporting my goals and never giving up on me. Um, and then just seeing, um, oh gosh, <laughs> um, I would say Ashley, um, She she's kind of the first person that I knew that was kind of like me. She's huge. She lives in London now. She's been starring in all these kind of model roles, even some movies. Um, and even though that's a different career path than um, what I aspire to do, that's still amazing how she's so confident in herself and just embodying that kind of confidence is huge. And I hope to be successful like that one day. And um, I think even kind of myself in a way, um, because I was born with something so different. And I think in a lot of cases, um, I like proving people wrong. <laughs> I've done it a lot. And so it's just kind of, um, I've been told by a lot of different people through various reasons, oh, I can't do that or I won't be successful in this. And so now it's just kind of become a habit of, oh, watch me become really successful in this. Um, and so in life, there's been a lot of obstacles. And so I'm just trying to become the most successful person as I can, the best person that I can. Um, and obviously it's a never ending road. You can always improve on yourself until the very end. Um, but just kind of seeing God has made me like this for a reason. And so just kind of exploring of why that reason was. Yeah. Yeah. Those are beautiful words. In terms of your, your limb itself, um, obviously I'm a leg amputee. So whenever I meet someone who, you know, who's, who's missing their hand, of course, I, I think, well, is there limb care in that situation? Is there something that you have to do in order to, you know, maintain a healthy limb? I, I mean, am I, am I completely off on that or is there something that goes on there? 
Um, I think that probably ranges for everyone. Um, I am extremely lucky and I lost mine before I was born, so I've never had to learn how to adapt. I could never imagine <laughs> learning one way and then having completely reversed that. Um, so I'm very grateful in that point that I did not. Very thankful for that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, it's just, just like anything. So I'm very grateful not to have that. Um, but I'm sure that's different for absolutely everybody. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, you're really the first person that, you know, I've ever spoken to that has your particular limb difference. I've, I, I have had on the show, uh, a couple of different amputees that have had, you know, various upper extremity losses, but nothing in your particular category. Is there a, is there a statistic on what has happened to you? And do you know what that is? I know that, um, so I'm currently trying to, currently uh, applying to the University of Michigan for next fall. So I had to do a lot of these questions for essays and stuff. And I believe um, the statistic for ABS happening to an inv individual person is one in 15,000, but I couldn't find the exact statistic for limb loss due to ABS. So that statistic I couldn't quite find, mm. but I know ABS happens to at least one in 15,000 of just ABS, ABS cases. Wow. So, so that's interesting. I wouldn't have expected that, but I, I think it's, it's interesting to understand, you know, how these things happen and then what's the result of that mm -hmm. in terms of the population. When, when someone says to you, you, Alexis, you inspire me. When someone says that, because I hear this sometimes, mm -hmm. how does that make you feel? Oh gosh, I think I go through a range of emo emotions in three seconds. Um, the first is kind of like, oh my gosh, like are you sure you're talking to the right person? Like, because um, I forget that I'm different. I forget that, I mean, in my head ever since I was three, I just wanted to be like everybody else. Yeah. So I just forget that I have that difference. Um, but, and then grateful that at least that I can, I'm doing this for the greater good. I'm not letting it define me in a negative way, but instead letting, letting my light hopefully show to other people. Yeah, no, that's so great. And what would be the advice that you think you would give to someone that came to you with limb difference um, and they were seeking you out for some kind of guidance or or your personal brand of wisdom? Um, I would say that there's absolutely nothing in this whole entire world that you can't do. If um, if you might have to do things different, it, when I was younger, I thought it was impossible for me to tie my shoes one-handed. And then my dad said, well, you're not gonna go to your horse lessons anymore until you learn. And I learned in three days. So <laughs> anything is possible. You may have to do it a different way. You may have to take longer. You may have to maybe invent a whole new way that's never been done before. But if you want to do something, there's literally nothing in this world that you can't do, no matter what anyone says. Because, I mean, even Joe Burrow and huge sports, very successful people, they get haters all the time. So, of course, someone that's trying to be a little different is going to get some pushback. And so just pushing through that and knowing that there's literally nothing you can't do. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Um, 
advice. I, I feel the same way. And I think the thing that surprises me most about being an amputee is all the things that I had pretty much convinced myself I wasn't going to be able to do mm -hmm. that now I do. And pushing yourself into those uncomfortable spaces allows growth. It allows forward movement. And when we try and give ourselves a chance to try, that's, I think, when things really get exciting. And you suddenly mm -hmm. think, well, wow, I'm actually doing this. Because becoming an amputee for me, it was, you know, that whole ideology of goal setting. And once you get to that goal, I think it's just the way most brains work. You're looking for the next plateau. You're looking for the next milestone. So for me, post-op was, I just want to walk. I just want to mm -hmm. be able to walk. You know, that's, that's all I care about. That's all I'm focused on. And, you know, a year later, two years later, I'm walking and I'm walking well. And um, my gait training is great. And I'm not struggling with the prosthesis anymore. I'm not in pain anymore. I'm, I'm walking around and, and people that don't know me are saying things like I would have never known. You walk mm -hmm. perfectly fine. Like you're, you're, it, I would have never suspected it. But then it becomes something else. It's, I want to ride a bike. Mm -hmm. I just want to ride a bike. That's all I want to do. I just want to be able to ride a bike. I want to be able to get on a bike and ride a bike again. So it just kind of builds from there. And it's just one thing after another thing after another thing. So, T tying tying your your shoes one-handed like to me you know someone who learned with two hands i think well that's impossible there's 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 no way i'm going to be able to do that <laughs> but obviously any like you said anything's possible and mm -hmm. with faced you know faced with that that equation of well, you can tie your shoes or you can have your shoe fall off. I guess there's those are your choices. And you just, you adapt. And I think as humans, that's one of the most remarkable things that, you know, we do possess is that ability to adapt and to be able to get around those obstacles if we want it bad enough. Because I will mm -hmm. tell you, the night before my surgery, my surgeon came in to see me. And I'm sure there's a lot of amputees out there that'll recall these types of conversations. And he came to see me, check on me, do sort of a kind of like a final, final little, uh, let's check all the boxes, make sure, you know, I'm in the right headspace kind of thing. And he said, do you have any questions? And I said, well, first of all, my, my, my mind just kind of went crazy. It just, I had so much coming at me in my mind. And I think I just sort of blurted out like, uh, well, how am I going to walk? How am I going to work? How am I going to drive a car? How am I going to blah, blah, blah. And he stopped me 
sort of cut me off, which sort of surprised me. And he said, I'll tell you what, I don't know if you're going to be able to do any of those things. I just don't know. But this is the one thing I do know. He said, if you want it bad enough, you will do everything. And that I will never forget that moment for the rest of my life when he said that to me, because that put me on the right path, the right course to say, okay, I just have to want it bad enough. And if I want it bad enough, I can do it. But if there's something that I'm falling short on, if there's something that I'm struggling with, there's probably at least some component of that in the recipe where I just don't want it that bad. And it's just like any other interest in life. You know, do you want to, you know, race NASCAR? I don't. <laughs> so that's just me, right? I, I, it's, it's not something I want to do. So obviously I'm not going to do that. But I think your life thus far is a testament to that grit, that will, that, you know, focus to do things and to do them well. And I find it very inspiring. If someone wants to reach out to you, how do you recommend they do that? No, thank you for your kind words. That means a lot to me. Um, no, if someone wants to reach out, um, there's my Instagram, of course. It's sliding and, and spinning. Um, on Instagram, I also have a personal account, Alexis underscore man 18, I believe. Um, and I always try to always respond to all of those um, because in my head, if someone's going to take the time to reach out to me, then I'm going to take the time and reach out back. That's just always a kind of common thing I've had. Um, so just because I want to be able to help as many people as I can. That's wonderful. Um, let's close with you describing what your next big goal is. Uh, my next big goal is I put a lot of effort into this semester. Um, my goal is to get into the University of Michigan um, for next fall. And that's kind of been my biggest goal that I've been really working hard on. I submitted my application actually this week. So, Wow, that's fantastic. I very much mm -hmm. wish you luck with that endeavor. Of course, I'm going to continue to follow your journey, which is fascinating. And I'm so glad that we were able to get you on the show. Um, mm -hmm. You know, after I saw the article with the Amputee Coalition, I said, this is uh, just a whole nother angle, a whole nother perspective. And I'm hoping that we can get more young people on like yourself, because mm -hmm. I, I really think that you all represent something that we need to hear and we need to embrace. Your, your voices are very important and very valid. So I appreciate you representing, as they say. Um, but I wish you luck with, uh, with your education and any future competitions and everything else that you're doing. Um, so, so uh, you know, we're going to close it up with that. And uh, I want to remind everyone that we have a big announcement coming soon. Uh, we are going to be doing a partnership with the Amputee Coalition. We're going to be developing some uh, original content for them. And we are also going to be uh, making an appearance 
at the uh, next convention uh, next year. So that's kind of big news. But anyway, Alexis Mann, thank you for being here. Is there anything you want to say in closing? Um, no, just thank you so much for allowing us to have this platform. I think it's very amazing, very professional, and just gives us a voice. So thank you very much. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Alexis Mann, I am Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to 11 podcast, and I wish everyone health and happiness. We will see you next time.